four of our series called Essentials, Know What You Believe. And what we've been doing over the past four, well, today included, four Sundays, is to identify what are some of the uh, closed-fisted issues, if you would, of the Christian faith. There's debate over a lot of theological ideas and concepts, uh, but there are some that we would consider essential uh, for salvation essential beliefs of the Christian church that, hey, look, if you don't believe in this essential doctrine, then the church would consider that person a heretic, uh, somebody who is not a part of the body of Christ. The Bible would call that person not a believer because they don't believe, right? And so we've been identifying some of these. And so today we come to our fourth essential doctrine, which is that God is eternal. God is eternal. And we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, just verse 1, and we're going to read it really slow so that you get your money's worth for having to stand up. So let's go ahead and stand up together and read the very first verse of Scripture. And again, I'll remind you that the reason why we stand, I was reminded from a conversation I was having with some church members last night, that the reason why we stand is because that this is where truth comes from. It's a reminder to us each and every week that the folks that are sitting by you in your classroom, the folks in your, in, at work that you uh, rub shoulders with, the folks in your family, your mother-in-law, whoever it may be. My mother-in-law is here this morning. I'm not talking about her. But in any case, whoever it may be that has an opinion, their opinion doesn't matter. doesn't mean anything to the Jehovah's Witnesses that came by my house this past week. I said, my opinion doesn't mean anything. What's in the Word of God is what matters. And so we stand up each week to remind ourselves that this is where truth comes from. So let's read together the very first verse of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and it reads like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You may be seated. Thank you so much. You all knew that by heart, I know. Um, could have closed your eyes while we were reading that together. All right. Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say in the beginning, man. It doesn't say in the beginning, protoplasm. It doesn't say in the beginning, carbon atoms and hydrogen atoms and nitrogen atoms. And you mix all that together in a little bit of lightning. It says in the beginning, God. And the Bible declares that in the beginning, when there were no living creatures on the earth, when there was nothing, or everything was void, there were no stars, there were no moons, there were no planets, there were no neutrons, there were no electrons, there was absolutely no leprechauns or quarks or anything, nothing, the Bible says, that there was God. And what God is claiming about himself is that he and he alone is the pre-existing being of all of the universe, that God is without source that God is without origin, that God is without beginning, and that God is without ending. God is eternal. This is what God was communicating to Moses when Moses said, hey, God, you're going to have me go to these people of Israel. I need something to tell them, like, who you are. And God said, Yahweh. Yahweh means I am. God's simply saying, I am. I exist. That's who I am. God is. And so he has always been, and he always will be. Now, with us as human beings, we know that we are not uh, eternal beings in the same way that God is eternal. Yes, we are eternal from the point which we are made until, but there is a point where we have a beginning. God has no beginning, so we're unlike him. He is eternal in a way that we are not. But every one of us craves to have a little touch of God's eternal nature. That is, that he's the one who is eternal, so God, we want to get with you to make sure that our, the rest of our eternity is as we would want it to be. And the way that we get that eternal life 
is not by our good works. We don't come to God and say, God, I wanna, I'm going to earn your favor today by being a really good person. I'm going to obey the speed limit. I'm going to recycle. I'm going to do all these good things, Lord. And so therefore, you're going to give me eternal life. That's not how salvation works. Uh, we don't come to God with our religious activity. We don't come to God with our man-made theology. Jesus said, rather, John chapter 10 and verse 27, he said, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them. Now listen to this, he said, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. You see, God, being eternal, is the only person who can give eternal life away. Did you follow that? God, who is the only one who is eternal, is the only one who can give away eternal life. He's the only one who can grant that gift. And God gives it, the Bible says, as a free gift to one group of people and one group of people only. And these people are those who have looked to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And that's the only people whom, whom God gives eternal life to. Um, people who have looked to Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross on your behalf. We don't come to God with the work that Jesus did on the cross plus our religious activity, the work that Jesus did on the cross plus our good works. No, no, no. We come to God on the basis of what Christ did for us. We put our faith, we put our trust in that work that Jesus did and that alone. Friends, if you want eternal life, make sure that you got the right source. Make sure you have the right source. Now, the fact that God is eternal means that even more than what we've said up to this moment, the fact that God is eternal means that God has a unique uh, relationship with time and space. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2 reads like this. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So from the past to the future, you are God. And everywhere in between. So God has a unique relationship with time and space. What this means is that if we look as far back into the past as we can, and we look as far into the future as we can, we will find God at both ends of that spectrum, both all the way into the past, into eternity, and all the way into eternity future, and everywhere in between simultaneously at all of those places. You say, Gordon, I'm scratching my head over here. I'm not quite following you. You see, time and space, though, friends, it defines us, but it does not define who God is. We have been created. We have a definite beginning. God has not been created. God is without source. God is without beginning. God has never been created. God is what is. He is eternal. And so time and space constrain us, but God being an eternal being, time and space do not constrain him. Now, I created a little diagram for you in case you're still scratching your head a little bit. Here's how this is what this looks like. So you can kind of understand the relationship that God has to time and space. That little white oval circle that you see there represents the physical universe. Yes, Hubble telescope went up into the sky back in the late 1990s and looked across the vast um, light years of space and discovered that the physical universe has an edge to it. The physical universe has an edge. just want to let you know that there's an end to it, that the physical universe is not infinite. It doesn't go on forever, and Hubble Telescope discovered this. And so that sent all the uh, you know, atheistic uh, astronomers and things into a tizzy. And so they've spent the last 15 years trying to explain how there can be an edge to the physical universe. But nevertheless, for our, for our purposes... You can see that time is constrained to the physical universe. Time is a unit, is an understanding of what we are experiencing right now. But God is outside of 
the physical universe. He can enter into, you see our arrows there, he can enter into time and space, and he can exit out of it just the same. And even though time is ongoing, God sees all of it in its entirety. God is not constrained by time and space. He sees it, sees time at its beginning, and he can see time all the way clearly to its end. God invented time and space. Do you get that? God invented time and space. He is not constrained by it, which is why God can, uh, can see the past from uh, the future. And friends, this is who God declares himself to be. This is the self-portrait that God paints of himself in the Bible, that God is eternal. Okay, well, that's as far as we want to go with our raw treatment of this topic, which means it's time for us to ask our most important question, which is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, hey, Gordon, that's really great to know. You know, that God is eternal, but I mean, I got to get kids off to school tomorrow. I got to get them off to ball practice. I got work. I got things waiting on me Monday morning. I mean, what difference does anything make to me? All right, so God's outside of time and space, but, you know, connect this with my life. Well, it's a good question. Let's see if we can answer it. When was the last time you've been to a parade? Can you remember the last one? Maybe Christmas time. I was down at Boswick this past mm, early spring, maybe it was, and the tractors were riding by. Anybody been to the Boswick Parade? The Cot- is it Cotton Gin Parade? I'm not sure what it's called. Anyhow, they got a lot of tractors there, though. So we were watching all the tractors go by, but before that, we were at the Monroe Christmas Parade uh, this past year, and so we walked out there on the sidewalk. We had been several different years, and this particular year at the Monroe Christmas Parade, they uh, rolled out for like 15 minutes, truck after truck after truck truck after truck, right? I mean, these things were just going by, and they had their Christmas lights decorated on them, but there was nothing special about any of these trucks. And we were all looking down the road. We're waiting for some floats. Look, give me a band, something like that, right? The kind of typical, we're Santa Claus. Where is the typical parade stuff, right? But it was just truck after truck. And these weren't like fancy trucks. They didn't have any lift kits on them. They didn't have any big knobby tires. I'm like, you're going to be riding in the parade like this with all these trucks. I might at least make their truck look kind of... Anyway, but it was just F-150 after Dodge Ram, after F-1, you know. But in any case, um, so, so we're standing there watching this parade, but we're looking down the road and we're hoping that we're going to see, you know, what's coming up next. But we couldn't see what was coming up next. And this is how our life is, though. Our life is like a parade. And it's just going by us and we're seeing what's happening as it goes by us. And we want to be able to see down the road. We want to be able to see what's coming up next, but we can't. I mean, it's like back around the corner. There are people in the way, and we just can't see what's coming up next. However, God, who lives outside of time and space, who lives above the parade, like in the, the, the guy in the blimp, right, who's looking down and can see the beginning of the parade from the end of the parade, that's where God's vantage point is. And he sees all of that simultaneously. That is, God sees the future like you and I are able to see the trucks going by, like we can see the past. And what this means is that God is in a unique position to orchestrate the concerns of our life. And as followers of Christ, this has some enormous ramifications for us. Um, The psalmist David wrote in Psalm chapter 139 and verse 16, he writes, All the days ordained for me were written in your book, God, before one of them came to be. He's just pointing out that God looked from the blimp down onto the parade of our life. What that means is that God knew every event of my life right down to the number of days that I had 
on this earth. What that means is that God can see with a bird's eye view the parade of our lives as things are marching on through time. It means that God can see the end from the beginning. It means that God is not surprised. We got surprised by, whoa, I wasn't expecting that today. But God's not surprised by it. He saw it coming. And what that means is that when God gives you direction for your life, friends, when God speaks his will into your life, he sees what's coming. And it gives him a unique vantage point to be able to speak into your life something that is perfectly and and it's perfect time for you. God never says, oops, sorry about that. I I shouldn't have given you that direction. That was bad advice. God's never in that position. You know, there's even more. God gives us a promise about how he plans out our lives. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 reads, For I know, this is God speaking to us, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and hope. And so that's what I want you to take away from this this morning, that even though you may be going through some difficult times in your life, even though things may be up in the air, maybe you're going through a time of transition, a time of change, times when we are wondering in those moments, God, are you still out there? You still got things under control? Why would you let this happen to me? Stuff perhaps that seems to be where God is contradicting his promise in Jeremiah 29 and 11. Friends, we need to remember in those moments as followers of Christ, we need to approach those tough times remembering that God is eternal, that he's got the blimp view of what's going on in our life. And we can trust God as a result of that to give us good counsel, to give us the best direction, to give us the deepest wisdom, and that we can entrust our lives to his eternal view of what's going on. God knows what's coming. And friends, with somebody like that calling the shots, we can have great confidence in moving forward in our lives. One of the songs that we sing here uh, in recent months has been a song called You Make Me Brave. And that song, You Make Me Brave, is all about us having confidence to go forward into the deep waters of life, to have confidence into going forward into unknown circumstances when a, when a bad uh, medical report comes by, whatever it may be, It's that confidence to say, God, no matter what comes, I draw my courage from you. I have confidence in moving forward because you're sitting up there in the blimp looking down on my life. You've got things perfectly under control. This story reminds me, or thinking about this, reminds me of the story of Esther. Esther, in chapter 2, verse 5, reads, Now there was uh, in Susa, in the citadel of Susa, Susa was the capital city of the Persian Empire at the time, There was there a man, a Jewish man, named Mordecai, skip over to verse 6, who was carried into exile from Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now what they're pointing out here in Jewish history is somewhere around the 480s um, B.C., uh, the the Persian Empire had come in and they had uh, taken over uh, Babylon some years before. And so some of the Jewish people that had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians Uh, Now the Persians uh, running the show. Um, Some of the Jewish people have been taken into captivity, and Mordecai is one of those. They were taken back to kind of modern-day Iraq, that area. And so uh, the Persian Empire is now over this uh, basically modern-day Iraq, Israel, all that part of the world. They're the big dog in town at this point in human history. And then verse 7 says, And so Mordecai, this Jewish guy living in Susa, 
had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought or whom he brought up or whom he raised, because she had neither father nor mother. This girl was also known as Esther because that was her Persian name, who was lovely in form and features. That's the Bible's way of saying that she was pretty. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. Now, I don't know if you caught it or not, but in those verses is enormous pain. Enormous pain. Here's a young girl whose mom just died, whose dad just died. She's been shipped off to an unfamiliar land uh, to live with her uncle Mordecai, whom she probably knows very little about. She has no brother or sister to go with her, no brother to protect her, no sister to talk about this devastation that's taken place in their life. And someone reading this might say, well, that sure doesn't sound like plans to prosper and not to harm. I can see somebody reading this and saying, you know, God has got plans for good and not for evil. Our mom or dad died. All this terrible stuff happens to her. Ha, I don't see that at all. Well, hang on just a second. Before we impugn God, before we accuse God of not keeping his plans in Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, the way he said, before we convict him of that, let's get to the end of the parade. Because by the end of the parade, friends, this young girl who had lost her mom, lost her dad, been shipped off to an unfamiliar land, didn't have any brothers or sisters to console her or protect her, this young girl ends up becoming the queen of the Persian Empire. Pretty cool stuff, right? Pretty cool stuff. She becomes the queen of the Persian Empire. Now think about this. If Esther's parents had never died, Esther would have never been shipped off to an unfamiliar land. She would have never been in Susa. If Esther's uncle hadn't been in Susa all those years before, um, she would have never uh, had the opportunity to be seen by the king's men when they were out recruiting for a new queen for the king. And they would have never picked her. If the king's men had never picked her as a potential queen, then she would have never been the queen of Persia. And finally... If she had never been the queen of Persia, then when that evil guy later in the story of Esther, that evil guy, Haman, made an edict that all of the Jewish people be exterminated. That's what they set out to do, was to exterminate the entire population of the Jewish people. Then if she hadn't been the queen of Persia, a Jewish person raised up by God to be in the right place at the right time, then Haman's edict would have gone forward. There would have been no Mother Mary. There'd have been no Jesus, there'd have been no cross, there'd have been no forgiveness of sins. And friends, Satan absolutely knew what was coming. He knew the prophecies of the Bible, and so he thought, hey, I'll thwart the plans of God. And so he sent Haman with the edict to exterminate the Jewish people, but God, seeing all of human history and seeing what was coming in the future, raised up Esther to the right place at the right time. Friends, God has plans for our lives. He's working on plans for our good to thwart evil, plans to prosper us, not to harm us. It may not always feel like it, but that's what God is up to. And so here's my point, that even though the events that God used to get Esther to the throne seemed senseless, maybe they seemed illogical, maybe even cruel. The point is that God had Esther's parade under control the whole time, 
and the plan that he worked out for her life was for her good. And the plan that he worked out for her life did prosper her, just like God promised. My Christian friends, I'm here today to assure you that God has your parade under control just as much as he had Esther's parade under control. And even though today's circumstances in your life may look to you like they are senseless, like they are illogical, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? Maybe even cruel. Maybe you walked in here today because of the circumstances in your life feeling like God has abandoned you, feeling like God has forgotten you, feeling like God has forsaken you. I'm here to tell you today, friends, from the scriptures, that that is not true. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God is the eternal God of the universe. He has promised you that he has plans for your life to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for your good, not for evil. Friends, we've only got street corner vision. I mean, we're street corner dwellers. That's where we live. We live on the side of the road and our life is moving by and we can't see what's coming up down the line. And so I'm here to tell you, though, to remind us that God can. And that because of that truth, we are not in a position to question what God is doing in our life. We're not in a position to question the wisdom of the eternal God of the universe for how he plans out our lives, for how he intends to fulfill his promises to us in Jeremiah 29 and 11. Friends, you are not in a position to judge that. Instead, our job as street corner dwellers is not to figure everything out because we can't. We can't. We cannot figure out what God is up to all the time. Our job is to trust the one who's in the blimp looking down on our life and who sees all the other Christians' lives going on out there and who's weaving together through our lives his good purposes for us and for um, his own glory. Friends, we will understand it all when we see Jesus. When we stand before the Lord and we get to heaven, we'll say, all right, Lord, I, you know, I finally get it. But friends, more than likely, we won't understand it until that moment. And that's where the eternal nature of God intersects with your life and with mine. Friends, why did your dad abandon you when you were a little boy or a little girl? Why did your husband or your wife desert you? Why did your boyfriend or your girlfriend do you wrong the way they did? Why is your business or your job struggling? Why do you hate the job that you got? Why do you have the physical illness that you're struggling with? Or why does somebody that you love struggle in one of these areas, have one of these issues? You know, I can't answer those questions. I can't. But I can tell you that we have an eternal God and that he assures you that he sees the whole parade. And furthermore, he promises you that he has already woven together every event of your life to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and future for your good, not for evil. And what God asks of us is not that we try to figure all of this out. What God asks of you, what God asks of me, is that we simply trust him. That's what God asks us to do, that we trust him. You say, well, Gordon, I mean, you do some good preaching, right? That makes good preaching. But that is, that is really, really hard to do. 
I mean, when you're going through one of these times and you're in a season of life and circumstances, it can be really, really difficult to do. And you know what? You're right. It is hard to trust God. But I submit to you that if we would make the character of God His eternal nature, the lens through which we see every event in our life, friends, I maintain to you that we can tackle anything that comes our way and we can do it with great grace, whether it's tragedy or trial, and we can do so with great grace in our life and trusting in God all through the whole process. Friends, Jesus did not lie to you when he said, I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Jesus didn't lie to Abraham, he didn't lie to Moses, he didn't lie to David, he didn't lie to Noah, he didn't lie to Daniel, he didn't lie to the Apostle Paul, and he's not lying to you. And so let me say in closing that there are really only two choices that we have given this information that God is eternal. Really just two choices when we're facing difficulties in our life, given this information. And those two choices are either I'm going to trust God or I'm going to doubt him. That's what we're faced with. We're going through stuff, circumstances we don't understand. I'm either going to trust that God sees the whole of the parade or I'm going to doubt him. Those are your choices. And friends, I've seen God act and I've seen God move too many times to doubt him. And so I challenge you that if you're in the midst of a difficult time right now, maybe you're in the time of transition and things are up in the air. Maybe the future's a bit uncertain. The diagnosis that you got wasn't what you wanted to hear. Your heart is broken. You just lost someone who's close to you. Whatever it is, trust God. Trust him. That's what he's saying. That's what he's crying out to us today from the scriptures. Let the fact that God is eternal, that he has a blimp's eye view of your life and mine, let that fact, friends, give you confidence moving forward. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us from your word today. You have a unique vantage point of our lives, Lord, that we and no one else can see. And so, Lord, we we just want to say to you today that we submit whatever we're going through, whatever indecision, whatever circumstances have arisen, Lord, that we just place it all at your feet, and we just want to say during this time of communion, Lord, you've got my trust. You've got my life. Whatever it is I'm working through, Lord, it's no surprise to you. And Lord, I'm just going to trust in your promise that you're out there working for my good, not for evil. And so, Lord, during this quiet time, these quiet moments, may we just say to you, Lord, we trust totally in you. We put our confidence totally in you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.